Hey everyone, welcome to Schweitzer Church. We are so glad you're here. My name's Corey, and I'll be our host through this online worship experience. And if you're new with us today, we have a gift we'd love to give you. Check in with us online, and we'll send you a virtual Starbucks gift card so you can enjoy a brew on us. Today, we're in week 13 of our sermon series on David. Pastor Spencer will be leading us through the wonderful message that God has for us today. And speaking of, we have sermon discussion questions and more at schweitzer.church next. We encourage you to follow along during the sermon and look there for more ways to get involved. And now, here's Stephanie to tell us more about what's happening here at Schweitzer. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. We know this is a great big church and sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to know where to start. If you're new around here and would like to get to know us a little bit better, we invite you to join us next Sunday, August 27th for our Next Steps Lunch. At this great event, you can learn more about our mission and vision and meet our pastors and staff as well. You can find out more information and sign up at the Blue Booth or online at schweitzer.church next. The fall semester is almost here and we are so excited to be kicking off some new groups and programs for kids, students, and adults on Wednesday nights beginning September 6th. And to make midweek even easier for your family, you can pre-register for a Chick-fil-A meal to be offered in Memorial Hall from 5.15 to 6.15. You can find out more, sign up for a class, and pre-register for your sandwich online at schweitzer.church Wednesdays. Beginning Tuesday, September 12th, we are launching Alpha. This is a place where you can explore your faith, ask tough questions, and more. It is great for people who are new to faith or just have some questions they'd like to have answered. You can find out more about all our groups and classes at schweitzer.church groups. This year, we are celebrating with Flourish CDC the 20th anniversary of the food pantry. A few weeks ago, we left you in suspense asking you to save the date for September 30th. On this day, we will be celebrating big the history of the food pantry and we'll also have a special guest. Take a look. Jakob Smirnov, and I will be performing for you guys for your 20th anniversary food pantry celebration. It's going to be a wonderful night, and uh, uh, you're going to laugh your yak off. What a country, what a pantry. <laughs> Thanks, Yakov. Tickets are on sale today at the Flourish table in the Fellowship Center. Be sure to pick yours up today. 
One last thing, on Friday, August 25th, we'll be having an outdoor movie night behind the Student Center. Starting at around 8 p.m. at dusk, we'll be showing the new Little Mermaid movie and we'll have free popcorn and snacks. There's no cost for this event, but it really does help us if you can sign up ahead of time. You can do that for yourself, family, and friends at the Blue Booth or by going to schweitzer.church/kids. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. Just as a reminder, you can sign up for any or all of these events at schweitzer.church/next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we'd encourage you to join us in the chat. Say hi to your friends, give us your insights, and if you're in need of prayer, click the prayer button and someone will be right with you. Now, let's continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the gift of worship and this gift of fellowship and community that you've given to us, that we're surrounded by other people who can support us and who are there for us and who can pray with us. And God, I thank you that in the midst of of any situation in life, the discouraging ones and the joyful ones, that you are there for us, that you're with us and care for us. And so God, I just pray that, um, that no matter who's here with us today, um, whether they're in a good situation or a bad situation, I pray peace for them. I pray that you just give them strength and and shower your love over them and help them to know that you are in the midst of whatever they're going through. And God, we join together now praying the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, I want to invite you to find your community. A great way to do this is by joining a group or class. And I'm excited to share that we have tons of new groups and classes beginning this fall. We have a group for everyone. And it's because of your generosity that ministries like this can happen at Schweitzer and in our community. As a reminder, you can continue to give by going to schweitzer.church give or by using our mobile church center app. Thank you so much for your generosity. And now here's Pastor Spencer with week 13 of our sermon series on David. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. We are continuing our series on King David. We are spending all summer on this, Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend, diving deep into King David's story. We're doing this because there's just so much uh, to learn from him. Now, two weeks ago, we entered a new phase in David's life where things got a bit darker. And uh, really, uh, for the next several weeks, that's really what we're going to be on. This, this last little bit of David's life, things start to unravel a little bit. And we're going to be reading some things that are a bit more uncomfortable, 
Uh, they're darker. They're a bit more disturbing as, as we go through towards the, the end of his life. And, and last week in particular, um, and this week are tied so closely together. In fact, last week we, we ended on a, on a cliffhanger as we didn't resolve the story because this week is going to be part two of that. And it's a, it was a dark week, um, as we read through this, the story of incredible family dysfunction that was taking place in David's life. And what we saw last week is that David is an incredible leader until it comes to his own family, that is. When it comes to his own family, he, he fails to lead. He's, he's so passive. It introduces all kinds of family dysfunction. And as the old saying goes, you know, one thing leads to another. And uh, this family dysfunction leads to a civil war, a rebellion from David's oldest son. His name is Absalom, as he seeks to uh, take uh, his father out of the picture and, and to usurp his father's authority. And, and so this is what, where we're taking place. That's where we left off last week was this dysfunction in this family leading to war. So if you think your family's dysfunctional, and every family is, but if you think your family's dysfunctional, go read the Bible. There's all kinds of dysfunction um, in, in families in the Bible. So this is where we're at today. David has been forced to shamefully leave Jerusalem uh, to, to flee from his son Absalom as this war is getting going. And we're going to pick up right there that David's been forced to leave. Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Here's how it goes. It says, David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Verse 2, David sent out his troops. And it's like, ah, there he is. We're missing this guy. David's back. He's He's doing, he does best. He's organizing his men. He's, he's, he's gearing up for battle. This is what David does best. Now he, he pulls his generals aside and, and he, and he has a conversation with them and he, he tells them this. This is verse five. He says, be gentle with the young man, Absalom, for my sake. Absalom is his son who's leading this rebellion. And it turns out that not just the generals heard David say this. Everyone heard David say this. And so verse six, we keep reading here. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And there Israel's troops were routed by David's men. And the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. So right off the bat, just a few verses, there's one battle, the civil war is done, there's resolution, but Absalom is still out there. So we keep reading, go down to verse nine. It says, now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree, and he was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. Now, earlier in the story, we didn't read this, but there was a, a part of Absalom's description in 2 Samuel 14, so we have talked about this last week, where it describes how one of the ways Absalom is, is well known is, is for his, his hair. This is like a point of his vanity was his hair, and so his his vanity here becomes his downfall. Common story. Verse 10. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab, this is the general, he said to the man who had told him this, Wait, you saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you 10 shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. Verse 12. But the man replied, even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, that is the three generals, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. Verse 14, Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart 
while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And then, I'm oh, sorry, and 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel for Joab halted them. They took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. The civil war is over. The rebellion's been dealt with. The king's son is dead. And imagine what this feels like now for David. When he hears the news, here's what happens. This is verse 33. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab was told the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom and for the whole army. The victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, if you read uh, through the Bible, this is really one of the most profound moments of grief that you see in all of the pages of Scripture. And, and maybe it's just me, but it's, it's hard to wrap my mind around just what David must be feeling right now. Because this has to be just incredibly complicated. On one hand, the enemy has been defeated. But on the other hand, the enemy was his son. On one hand, right, the, the, the war, the threat of war and all that it brings, the destruction and the death of so many people, like the threat of war is over. But on the other hand, that threat was his own son. So on one hand, the, the kingdom has been saved and has been saved from a, a, a terrible ruler but on the other hand, that terrible ruler, the threat was his son, Absalom. Like how, how complicated must this be? In Eugene Peterson's commentary on 2 Samuel, he, he describes David's lament here as this. I want to quote this to you. He says, quote, this is a tangle of love and hate, righteousness and sin, good and evil. And he says this tangle comes to a head in Absalom. What a great word to describe what David is going here through here. It's, it's a tangle. David is, is all tangled up. Now, this reminds me of um, something David wrote in the Psalms, the, the prayer journal of David, the longest book of the Bible. Psalm 31 doesn't specifically mention that this was written by Absalom, but as I read it, I can't imagine that it wasn't because it sounds like it. We're not going to read the whole thing here because it's, it's pretty long, but I want you to hear as we read just a few verses here of, of this tangle that David finds himself in as he's all tangled up with these emotions. Psalm 31, here's verse one. It says, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. And I want you to notice those words we just read there, like words like refuge, deliver, rescue, fortress. There's just like this pile up of words that all kind of mean the same thing. And, and you only write something like this if you are really, really struggling. Like this is not the kind of thing you write when life is going well and you just got a promotion and you just had a great vacation and your family's healthy and things are, are going well. And this is the kind of thing you write when you are suffering. 
And it's, it's when things are falling apart and suffering just front and center of your life. And as an aside, we should always mention this when we talk about suffering, that in the Bible, faithful people suffer. David suffers, Moses suffers, Peter suffers, Paul suffers, James, John, they suffer, even Jesus suffers. Faithfulness and suffering are, are often going hand in hand. We keep reading here, verse four. Keep me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, my uh, Lord, my God. That might sound similar because Jesus uh, said those words on the cross. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Skip down to verse nine. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my body and soul with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Verse 15, my times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servants. Save me in your unfailing love. Skip down a few more verses. The tone changes. Verse 19, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all. On those who take refuge in you, praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So I don't know if David wrote this because of Absalom, but it sure sounds like he could have with this mixture of anger and love and grief and faith that are all just tangled up together. And of course, it's all tangled up because that's what happens when you grieve. There's, there's this tangle that takes place. And so if you're grieving, and this is something you're going through, this psalm and others like it are a great place to spend some time with, to pray these words, maybe to memorize some of these phrases, and to, and to read how the Bible talks very openly about the process of grief. Now, I say that because sometimes when people talk about grief, it, it sounds as if um, we, we kind of downplay it. I mean, I think about the stages of grief and how sometimes we talk about the stages of grief. It almost sounds that when you hear people talk like, like we should just move right through the stages of grief, just one after the other. We just need to go through and go from the denial to the anger, to the bargaining, to the, to the uh, depression, to the acceptance, and just kind of move through it as if it's a linear process. But, but as we look here with, with, with David and we see how grief was working in his life, what we really see is it's not a linear process. It's much more this tangle of emotions that we find ourselves with. I've done this work long enough to also know that for Christians, this is a very hard thing to understand. Because as Christians, sometimes we think that grief is not something that you should feel if you're a person of hope. So we think, you know, I, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that in the end that there will be no more uh, crying or mourning or grieving or pain like this revelation because the old order of things will pass away of this hope and the victory of Jesus. And so we think because I believe in the resurrection, the empty tomb, the victorious return of Christ, why would I grieve? Why would I, why would I be sad? And so sometimes Christians have this, this thought that, that because I believe in Christ and his victory that I shouldn't um, experience grief. But here's, here's the thing. Even people who know how it all ends, who have hope in Christ and his victory, we still grieve. I mean, even Jesus himself grieved. So we looked at one of the most profound uh, passages in the Bible in grief with David and Absalom. Let's go look at another one. 
And let's go to John chapter 11, and let me show you how Jesus himself grieved. John chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Verse 3, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus and Lazarus, this family, they're really tight. When he heard, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's really important. Jesus knows the outcome. We're going to return to this in a few minutes. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. These are, these are people he's really tight with. Now as you keep reading here, Jesus hears this news that Lazarus is sick, and his response to this is that he... He waits. He, he, he stays where he is for four more days. And there's no explanation, no reason is given in the Bible for why he does this. Um, I don't know why he does it. There's all kinds of theories out there about why he waits. I don't find really any of them all that, all that, um, convincing. But what I do know is he waits. And while he waits, in the meantime, Lazarus dies. Now, as is custom in, in, in this, uh, time, t- time frame, um, all these people come together from, from different places to mourn with the sisters, to mourn with Lazarus's family. And, and this custom is a very different thing than we, we experience today. I mean, for us today, you know, you might go to someone's funeral and for an hour or so, maybe go to the visitation, maybe you do the graveside and you, you go and experience that. You sit with them for a little while. But in those days, in Jesus' days, it wasn't just an hour or so that you gave for the funeral. This was like days that you would commit to coming together, to, to grieve together, to mourn together. And there's just a profound difference in how grief worked in this time frame versus how it works in our world uh, today. Because today when we grieve, we grieve in private. We grieve in, uh, you know, behind closed doors. We, we, we grieve as if there's something wrong with us when we do this. And so we keep people away from us and when we, when we grieve. And this is why I think people will sometimes try to cheer us up when we are grieving. And so, you know, we'll try to make us feel better. And there's all the kinds of things people say when, you know, someone they love or something they care about is grieving. You might, you might hear some pithy kinds of comments like, uh, like, a, you know, everything happens for a reason. Or, or someone might say this one, this is a classic. Someone dies and someone's experiencing that loss, they might say, you know, God just needed another angel, which is just terrible theology. Or, or, or one time I heard this, I heard this from a, about, a, uh, overheard this when a woman lost her husband, someone else told her, this, this new widow, uh, she, she was told, well, now you'll be able to have ministry with widows. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, I know we have good intentions when we say these kinds of things, but just let me give you a little piece of friendly advice. Stop talking. Don't say these things. It's not, it's not helpful. This isn't, this isn't helpful. And I, I wonder why we do this. I wonder, like, what is it that uh, makes us want to cheer people up and not join with them in the grief? Like, what, what is it about this? And, and I don't know what it is. Why, why is it that we have such an uncomfortable, um, profound uncomfortableness when it comes to death as Americans? I, I, I don't know. I've got some theories. One of my theories is this that as a society, as we've moved into more and more of a scientific worldview and a materialistic lens of the world, that is that we only think what is real is what we can see and taste and touch, that that as we've done this, we've lost connection with our soul and the part of us that lives forever. We've, we've lost this. And one of my other theories about this uncomfortableness with grief is that as modern folks, we, we sometimes worship at this idol of comfort and grief is profoundly uncomfortable. And so we try to get away from it because it's such an uncomfortable thing. In Jesus' day, it was very different. People come together, 
They didn't grieve behind closed doors. There's no need to say pithy kinds of things because our grief was out there and the grief was shared. And so people would stay for days to come together to mourn, to to share in this together. And so when it comes to, to grief, I've heard it said before, and I think this is true, that really there's only two approaches we can take. One approach is that we can do like these people do in the Bible. They experience grief. They go through it. They, they deal with it. They, they, they let it take its course and, and they experience this with, with others and they share in this sometimes. They, they go through this. And so, you know, sometimes as we go through uh, grief, we have to walk through it with others, maybe through therapy or a support group. In our church, we have a ministry called Grief Share. But the other option that some people take when it comes to grief is we just ignore it and we don't deal with it. And uh, we just keep stuffing it down, pretending it's not a thing. And in reality, what then happens is that uh, eventually that grief catches up to us and it destroys us. And as we talk about grief as well, we also have to acknowledge that grief is not just death. It's really this thing that we feel when we encounter all kinds of loss. I was talking recently to someone who was recently retired and and this person said that they didn't realize it, but retirement caused some grief to take place. And that makes sense because there's a loss of vocation. There's a loss of identity. There's a loss of, of what I had. And that's really what grief is. So grief comes when there's divorce, comes when there's empty nests. I know that some of you are sending kids to school this year. It, it comes to uh, grief comes when there's a move, when there's a loss of friends. There's just all kinds of ways that we grieve, but just when we experience that loss. So you can deal with it, you can experience it, you can walk through it, or you can ignore it. So Jesus shows up to town. Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is there. Martha comes out to greet Jesus, and and, um, she's not happy with him. So verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Lord, if you'd been here, right? Lord, if if you had intervened, if you'd helped us, if you'd answer our prayers, this is such a statement of grief. Why did you let this happen? God, why did God let this happen? Verse 23, well, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And after that, um, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. He's asking for you. Well, he's he's not asking for you, but I get that you want out of this conversation. Verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same speech that Martha gave. Probably they've been talking about this together. And so far, everything in this story, it all makes perfect sense. But what happens next is puzzling. And it's truly, truly full of mystery. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews would come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that last little bit there, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There's all kinds of debate about those words because they're very difficult to translate from the original Greek. And so some people think that what this is getting at here was implying some, some emotions of maybe anger. Other people are think it's about compassion, like empathy that Jesus has experienced, or maybe it's sadness. And I think that debate's so interesting because I think it's like, yeah, probably all of those things. It's probably meant to be ambiguous because this is what grief is like. It's a tangle of emotions. So come to verse 34. Jesus asked, where have you laid him? 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this leads to the most simple and yet one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. John eleven thirty five. two words. Jesus wept. Wept. Now this is translated from the Greek word dakruo, which is a fascinating word because do you know what dakruo literally means? It means wept. Not Jesus was a little misty. Not Jesus had a lump in his throat. Not Jesus was a little teary-eyed. Not Jesus was, was sad. No, Jesus wept. And we're going to come back to that in a second, but let's finish this, this out. Verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how they loved him? See how he loved him? But, but some of them said, could he not, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind and have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more deeply moved. Again, we're not quite sure how to translate that because it's just, it's all these emotions that are coming out. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. But now that we see how it ends, let's go back to that very profound and simple verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Now, of course, this raises the question, why? Why would Jesus weep? Why would he not just tell everyone, hey, there's no, there's no need for tears, guys. Listen, this is all going to work out. I mean, Jesus knows the outcome. So why, why does he not just show up and say, hey, 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 stop crying. There's no need to be sad. Listen, listen, everything happens for a reason. We're going to work this out here and you're going to see something really, really amazing in just a second. So when Jesus knows the outcome to this, why would Jesus weep? Or to use a different word, why would Jesus grieve? In the New Testament book of Hebrews, there's this incredible passage that compares Jesus to the high priest in the, in the Old Testament temple. And the job of the, the high priest in the temple is to represent the people to God. And so they would uh, offer offerings uh, for forgiveness of sins and those kinds of things and prayers to represent the people to God. And in this incredible passage, Hebrews chapter 4, we read this. Um, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. Now that word empathize, it comes from a Greek word, sympatheo. It's where we get the word sympathy. Maybe you could hear that in there. And what's interesting about this word is that it really comes together from two words and pushed together. On one hand, you have this word patheo, which is where we get the word pathos, pathos, uh, emotion, heart. This is what we're talking about here. And the other word, assume, is where we get with. And the idea is that this experience, these emotions that we have, we are experiencing with someone. That's, that's sympathy. That's the idea here, this this teaching is that Jesus, who is fully God and is also fully human, he represents us to the Father. He represents us to the Father, fully understanding what it is that we go through because he walks through it with us. 
The great Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he comments on this and he says, what this means is that when we come to the Father, you know, we don't stand across this great gulf hoping to be heard. We don't have to, you know, jump up and down trying to get the, the Father's attention, hoping that the Father will notice us. No, instead, because Jesus is, is representing us and we have this high priest in heaven who understands us, what, what we have here is, is that we have a, the Father who fully now understands what we go through. This high priest who has experienced everything with us and for us and he sympathizes with us. And so we come back to John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Jesus knows grief. Jesus knows your grief. So we talk about grief today. Like, I get it. It's uncomfortable. It's not something we want to come to church and talk about. It's not something we want to think about. And I also understand that not, not everyone with us on, a, on this Sunday is going to be grieving and going through things. But I do know that all of us will at some point or have at some point. And grief, again, it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It's not just death. It's really all kinds of loss that we experience. And so you may not be grieving because you've lost someone. You may be grieving because the kids are moving out or because the marriage has ended or because your vocation has ended or maybe you've moved. You've lost some friends or maybe you've lost your health. There's all kinds of things that begin to, to, to burn this grief inside of us. And so if this is something that you are going through, because I know there's a fair number of us who are, I just want to offer you a simple word of encouragement today. The Father, your Father in heaven, cares about you. And because there's a high priest representing you, Jesus who sympathizes with you, there is no need to hide. There's no need to ignore it. There's no need to be ashamed of it. There's no need to think that this is a lack of faith because the Father is with you and for you and cares about you. Therefore, as well, this is not something that you have to carry on your own because Jesus, the Son, he sympathizes with you. He can carry this burden with you. Therefore, we walk forward, we go through the process, and in this tangle of emotions, whether it's from David or as we see with Jesus, we understand that this is what it means to be human, but that the Father, even in our darkness, He cares for us. He cares for you. Let's pray together. So Father, today, um, some of us are going through grief. All of us at some time will go through grief. And in this process, may we be reminded that you walk with us. Therefore, we don't have to hide this or be ashamed of this or only carry this behind closed doors. We don't have to carry this on our own, but rather we can seek help. We can seek people to pray for us. We can seek counseling. We can seek um, uh, support groups. We can, we can move through this understanding that as we do this, we are relying on you because you care deeply for us. May you bring healing in these places where grief has affected our hearts and our souls. May you bring healing in these places as we learn to rely on you because you love us. For anyone who's with us today and doesn't know that love, doesn't know what it is to trust in you with every part of our life, including our grief, 
We want to just offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? It's that prayer of faith that, that aligns us with this high priest in heaven who cares deeply about us. It's in his name, the mighty name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. We want to thank everyone who helped make this service possible, and we want to especially thank Pastor Spencer for sharing this powerful message. And speaking of, if you know someone who could benefit from hearing this message, we'd encourage you to like and share this message on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we look forward to seeing you back here next week for week 14 of our sermon series on David. See you next time. Everything I once had